0: You're listening to a recording from the 2017 Mockingbird Conference held at St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. Good morning. I didn't know that Carrie was doing the introduction. Um, we took, Carrie and I take walks together in Houston on the weekends, and we took a walk last Saturday. And um, we got in the car and there was a food truck that pulled in front of us that sold ice cream sandwiches. And Carrie said, if that's the ice cream sandwich food truck, we're totally following them. And I was like, this is why we walk together, because balance. Um, So I want to take you all on a little journey this morning. We're very into that word in the religious world. It's going to start off bleak. And depending on how good you feel about yourself and your choices, it may end badly for you too. Um, If your friends got you here this morning by telling you that I was an inspirational speaker, then they lied and you need better friends. Um, But this also might be an intervention because you're like a really difficult person and this is their way of telling you, so... So my name is Sarah Condon. I'm an Episcopal priest. I'm a writer for Mockingbird. And um, I make a lot of jokes, but I do not come here lightly. Um, I came to my first Mockingbird conference some years ago. And what I heard completely changed my life. And I'm so grateful to be here and to talk about the gospel with you this morning. So on that note, why don't we pray? Gracious God, thank you for this group of people gathered. Lord God, in a world where Christians are persecuted, where they are cast out for their beliefs, we thank you for, frankly, the freedom that we have to gather in this place on this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that we can hear love and mercy from you, because we know it is true. And we pray for the one who teaches, Lord, because you know that her sins are many. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start this morning by telling you kind of a crazy story about something that happened to me at the gym about six months ago. So um, I go to the gym. uh, I have this routine. I drop my kids off in the morning at school. I go to the gym and I get on an elliptical glider for 25 minutes where I either watch the Kardashians or I Love Lucy, depending on what day of the week it is. And I'm at that point where I'm pretty sure it's not doing anything for me health-wise. Um, but it's I get to watch whatever I want to on TV, which is the whole point for me. So on this day, I ended up on one of those uh, machines, an elliptical glider, that the sound wasn't great. And I kind of just stuck with it. I kept the headphones on. I kept straining to hear. Um, it was, it was a really important episode, it was the one, if you watch the Kardashians, it's the one where Kendall Jenner is, um, here she is, trying to work out why she gets PTSD when she takes modeling uh, jobs in Europe, it's like, here, it's very important, um, you should look it up. Um, So I'm sitting, I'm doing the machines and then these two women about my age, they come over and they get on the elliptical glider machines next to me and they start to talk. And because I have on headphones, they think that I can't hear them. Okay, so this is what happens. Mom one says, oh my God, I'm so pissed at my husband. And then mom, Two's like, why? What did he do this time? And I'm like, why, what did he do this time? Um, (laughs) And mom, one, goes, what didn't he do? He's such an asshole. And for the record, she used a worse word than that. He's such an asshole. You know, he won't ever take a vacation with us. He's all work, work, work. And when I'm like, hey, babe, I want to go on a vacation, he's all like, I got to work. Like she did the dumb husband voice. Um, and then she goes, and can we just talk about his eating? He's such a fat asshole. He gets these, I know, I was like, whoa. He gets these, she said, he gets these grocery store salads for lunch, and they're all lettuce. They're like just lettuce. And then mom, too,'s like, oh, I know those. And I'm like, I don't wear these salads they're talking about. And she's like, he will only eat those for lunch. And then he comes home starving, starving, and he eats all the food that I prepared for the kids for dinner. Like she had this whole thing about how many chicken breasts she makes. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, but then it got so much worse. Like I had started to feel guilty for literally spying on them. But then, and this was this was the the payback, right? She goes like this. She's like, and sex is the worst with him. And I'm like, oh no. And she goes, <laughs> she's like, He's all, like, gentle and, babe, do you like this? Doesn't he know I like it rough? She's, I know. And then her friend's like, totally. So if I were a better Christian, I would have turned and asked her if she had heard the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when she started talking about the bedroom at full volume in a public space, I just went, like, sprinting off of the elliptical glider And I called my husband, and I was like, we can go anywhere you want to for lunch, and you can order whatever you want on the menu. (laughs) Um, I could not get this woman out of my head. I I literally, I got home, sat in the driveway, and called David Zall. And I was like, you're not going to believe what just happened. Um, And I kept thinking, like, who's her ideal husband, right? If she were in charge, if she had control, what does this guy look like? Because her, her current husband is really not, not getting it done. So, this is, this is, I mean, she had a lot, she had a lot of requirements. So, I, I had to kind of combine some personalities. So, Jack from Will and Grace, because if you watch this show like I did at the University of Mississippi in college every single day, um you'd know that he never worked, so I feel like he could travel at the drop of a hat. Um, She wants a man who doesn't eat salads, and as a longtime devoted watcher of Dog the Bounty Hunter, I've never seen the guy eat a salad, so I was like... And finally, she likes it rough in the bedroom, and so I know I should have gone Fifty Shades of Grey, But I feel like, just take it to its natural conclusion. So I went with Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, because like, he just killed women. Like, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) So our natural inclination when we see a human being this far off the rails is to judge them harshly and to thank God that we are not like them which is what I did. It's kind of what the sin I have brought you into this morning right along with me. But there's a precedent for this, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector and this is of course the modern-day parable three ladies elliptical glided at the gym two of them were speaking terribly about their husbands the third was judging them like she poops righteousness <laughs> i want to believe that i am not like the lady at the gym but i am hundred percent my name is sarah condon and i am a jack wagon I will demand major life changes from the people that I love most in the world. I will condemn and judge others so I don't have to deal with myself. And I will seek out loads of affirmation and advice from other lost and lonely jack wagons along the way. I will turn to everyone but God for help, right? Because God knit me in my mother's womb And pulled me from the depths of despair and I don't want to talk to anybody who knows me that well. Like the ladies at the gym I will hang out at Jack Wagon Junction where bad advice never goes out of style and control always seems like a distinct possibility and where we kind of all stand around lying to ourselves. Um, At Jack Wagon Junction we insist on affirming one another about everything. That lady at the gym, she just wanted affirm- affirmation, and her friend just wanted to give it to her. And, and we see this all over the place in culture, especially on Instagram, but all over the place, in the zeitgeist, right? People will tell us, like, you're not broken, you're beautiful. And I, I have to be honest with you, I never feel beautiful when I feel broken. Do you know, that just doesn't ever happen for me. Um, People will tell you, you do you. Y'all don't want to see that, right? Um, or, or my personal favorite, and I'm sorry if y'all like this one, but find a tribe. Like, A, that's not how it works. You're born into a tribe. And B, haven't we taken enough from the Native Americans? Like, are we gonna do this too? We're all, we all feel good about that. We're all looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for affirmation from people who are just as broken as we are. Motherhood leads me into this habit over and over again, um, and it has from the very beginning. I will sooner ask the Internet for advice than a real person because the Internet will give me exactly the kind of advice that I'm looking for. When I was pregnant with our son, our first child, I kept looking for advice that would get me out of having to breastfeed because I was scared of it, right? So one day after scouring the interwebs, I found this entire anti-breastfeeding thread on a website and I was like, awesome. and the mothers-to-be shared all of my very important concerns, namely that it would hurt too much and um, that it would take up too much of my time. Um, so at first, I felt super validated. Um, and then I noticed the really bad grammar and spelling. And, and then I noticed how they spelled mom. And then I realized I was on a website for pregnant teenagers uh, from England. And then I realized that's where I was getting my affirmation from, you know, like from 16-year-old pregnant girls in Coventry, like they were telling me how to mother. Um, In seminary, I had this really uh, endearing habit of refusing to go to chapel with my classmates. I legit set up a meeting with the dean the second week, and I was like, look, I'm not coming. and I had reasons that some of were good and some of them weren't. Uh, I lived over an hour away, and morning prayer was, like, really early in the morning. Um, I had a new baby. I was always like, I have a new baby. That was my excuse. I have a new baby. Um, and I just don't love God that much. Like, that's very early to get up in the morning for God. And also, I don't want to sit in a small chapel with a bunch of seminarians singing the doxology really loudly because they were all musical theater majors in college. Like, (laughs) I just couldn't do it, you know? I tried. Um, But I began to notice that whenever anyone didn't want to go to chapel, they would always come to me, always. Um, Because I would always tell them no. I was always like, no, you don't have to go to chapel. If you don't feel like going to chapel, don't go to chapel. Um, If I wasn't going, why should they empty the chapel, right? Like, Sarah will be the Pied Piper of the jack wagons, just taking them down the street to McDonald's. Like, you know, I was a jack wagon, and I was leading jack wagons. Um, And just because I think it's relevant that this is always who we are, Two weeks ago, we took our family on a trip, and the car battery died on the beach. And my husband is the one who, like, scurried off, found jumper cables, um, hustled to get a beach permit because we'd parked illegally, got the car fixed. He did all those things. And because I only yelled at him once, you know those phone calls we make to our spouses? where like we don't even say anything. Like they pick up, so my husband picks up and I'm like, where are you? Like I only did that once. So I felt like balloons should have dropped out of the ceiling, you know, like I'm an amazing person. So unless you were Jesus, in which case, I just want to pause here in case that's true. Welcome Jesus to the 10th anniversary of the Mockingbird Conference. We, we were really hoping you would finally join us. Um, But unless you're Jesus, then you're a jack wagon too. You hang out at Jack Wagon Junction looking for advice and affirmation from hopeless, hapless sinners just like you and me. You will ignore that bit in the Gospels about God knowing how many hairs are on your head because you have hair extensions and what does he know about those, right? And if you're anything like the rest of us, you will hide the worst parts of yourself until they come seeping out, right, on the elliptical gliders at the gym, maybe in front of a congregation full of people at a conference, um, or God forbid, at your funeral. Carrie was right, I love funerals. I love to talk about funerals. One of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits lately was of a funeral. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, it was a funeral in a funeral home, and I love funerals in funeral homes. Like, I like those um, those beach weddings in Mexico where you write your own vows, you know? Because you just get to do whatever you want. Um, I like them for all their sort of weird, homemade, jack wagon unpredictability. Because with a church funeral, generally speaking, you know what's going to happen. Like. There's liturgy, the priest has a script, like words to say, and then someone will preach a sermon ideally about how the dead person's going to go home to Jesus. But a funeral home funeral is our control mechanisms and overdrive. Um, They actually have clergy people that they'll just call, funeral homes will just call and say, hey, we're going to pay you some cash if you come up here and do this funeral for this person you've never met. Um, and then you can pick out whatever wacky crap you want and they kind of have to do it at funeral homes because like you're paying them Um, and most dangerously of all there are like an endless amount of eulogies so uh, ladies and gentlemen a brief clip from the funeral of David the dentist a jack wagon just like you and me I want to I want to talk about what we think we're hiding What is it that we think our loved ones don't know about us? There was some talk about that last night. I think it's a good question. And what is it that we foolishly think God doesn't know? Do we believe that we have that much control in our lives? Thank you all for being here. My husband loved each and every one of you as a family member. I'm so moved as I look around the room and see all the people who were touched by my David. Okay, there, there, shh. Okay, now go, go away. All right, everyone, now to say a few words, we will bring out the honorable Rabbi Latonda Pierce. Baruch Hashem, and blessings to all. Now, I didn't know David, but I was told about him 20 minutes ago, and I think I got the gist. At this time, Two of his close friends have asked to sing a tribute. Please welcome Dan Balance and Didi Douche. it, Check it, check. Two, one, two, one, two, one, two, two, one, check, two. Now, good morning. We met David in 1997, and a lot of you may not have known this, but he was much more than a dentist. He was also, in his spare time, a gifted songwriter. David wrote songs, uh not that I know of but he did mention his friends Dan and Dee Dee a lot. I guess this is them If it's all right, we'd like to share a song David wrote in remembrance of him (laughs) Yeah, yeah God do with jack wagons? This is an important question. For one thing, he does not affirm them. He loves them, right? He loves us. He saves us. But the Bible is not full of stories where God pats people on the back and says, you do you or find your tribe because he knows that's a really bad idea. Because God sees us and he has seen us For a very long time. God was there when Adam and Eve decided to have a fruit buffet. He was there when Sarah sent Hagar away with a baby. We always talk about how great Sarah is. She sent Hagar away with a baby to die in the desert. And I don't want to hear about your Old Testament scholarship nonsense about how women had to do this. I don't want to hear that. Like she sent her away with a baby. He was there when Jonah refused to heed his calling. And God was there when Jonah was swallowed up by the whale. He was there when the disciples fell asleep on Jesus. He was there when Peter denied Jesus. And he was there when Pontius Pilate said, hey, Jesus, time to head to the cross, brother. I'm sorry, but rules are rules. And God was there when when all the people gathered, that is to say, you and me were like, yeah, man, rules are rules. Of course, I can't talk about jack wagons in the Bible without talking about Martha. Um, I feel like this would be her memoir, Who Unloaded the Dishwasher Last? Life Hacks for Controlling Everyone Around You. Um, I love to throw shade on Martha. Actually, my book has a chapter called Why Martha Was the Worst, but I love to throw shade on Martha because she's inescapably just like us, right? Um, She longed for affirmation and validation that her choices were the right ones. Because Martha, like you and like me and like everyone on the planet with the eyes to see and the ears to hear, wants to control. We see ourselves in her, which is why we love to love Martha, right? That's why we affirm Martha, We talk about how great she is, which is totally and utterly ludicrous. Because Martha is great at complaining and attempting to control. These are her spiritual gifts. They're probably your spiritual gifts. They're definitely mine. So if you remember Martha, she threw this great dinner party for Jesus. And then as soon as it's over... She goes into, like, stay-at-home mom beast mode, right? And she insists that Jesus make Mary help her clean up. And every time now that I read that story, I just envision her yelling at them while she's, like, on an elliptical glider, you know? And then there's the funeral for her brother Lazarus. Um, she sort of stands over Jesus' shoulder. It's like he's putting together IKEA furniture, you know? And she's like, "Are you are you doing that right? Like, it's like... Do you know how resurrection works, Jesus? Like that's, it's, men get a really bad rap for mansplaining, but it's amazing how early we have ladiesplaining documented, thanks to Mary, um, or thanks to Martha, sorry. Martha is, uh, Martha, an interesting thing about her that is sort of not, not relevant, but fascinates me. She's the patron saint of restaurant workers. Did you guys know this? So like, it's not bad enough that you're a waiter at Applebee's, but when you really need a saint to lean on, we've given you Martha, right? <laughs> and church tradition has done bizarre things with her. We've drawn this weird dichotomy that always freaks me out, where you're either a Mary or a Martha. And then we always like to add here, but the church needs both. Okay. Okay. That's not in the Bible. We made that up, right? It's not. So how many times have I heard a pastor say, uh, and that's a lot, um, what this church needs is more Marthas. Like, really? Is that what you want? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you, do you need more people who are trying to control everything while also complaining about how everything is going? Um, and what clergy mean when they, when they say that is we need more people to make casseroles. So what I would suggest to you is just say we need more people to make casseroles, not we need more Martha's, you know. Of course, the church does need more Martha's because the church is here to preach God's forgiveness to sinners because the church always needs more jack wagons because that is the job of the church. Which brings me to the beginning of the end. Much of mainline Christianity has forgotten this fact. We don't wanna talk about sin, right? Not ours anyway. We'd rather give and receive really bad, like life advice from the pulpit. Much of the church spends far too much time telling people lies, frankly. We actually think it is our job to tell people that they have control over their lives and that the church should just affirm every single choice that they are making. Like, what is your greatest desire? It's definitely okay, you know? I mean, think about that for a second. <laughs> um, we have forgotten We've totally forgotten that people come to church because they're tired of themselves. People come to church because they're tired of Jack Wagon Junction, right? Um, It's obvious that we control nothing. Not our destiny, not our spouses, not our children, not keynote presentations, right? We have control over nothing. And people come to church... Because they're tired of hearing about how great they are. Really, people come to church for that. I know that sounds nuts, but they do. Because being affirmed about how great you are really isn't that great. And honestly, that's why I ended up with Mockingbird in the first place. I realized that's a terrible sales pitch on our 10 year anniversary. Come and hear about how not great you are. Um, But this is good news because we live in a world that promises greatness if you can control your life, right? It's caveated greatness every single time. And when that fails, which it always does, it always fails because we control nothing, the world offers us only condemnation. So it's a lethal exchange for us. Greatness for control condemnation for failure. That's how it works. And this is where this life, this Christian life, is so different. God chooses to do something different with his control, right? And it is at the cross where we see God's control for what it really is. We meet a God who is not interested in false affirmation for sinners. In fact, And I know this is a dangerous thing to say, but we meet a God who should be in the business of condemnation. I mean, really, look at us. That's what God should be doing. But he's chosen to die for us and to love us instead. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In Christ, we learn we are not defined by our choices. We are not affirmed in our self-righteousness. Instead, we are defined by the choice of a God who chose to love us rather than to condemn us. In Christ, we learn we are not defined by being the out-of-control, longing-for-control sinners that we all are. Instead, we are defined by being beloved. Children's author Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote a beautiful devotional book for children called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Um, it's a book she wrote for her niece when she was in elementary school and was being bullied. And uh, it's a book we really love at our house. Her take on Matthew ten twenty nine is pretty wonderful. She writes, if you had to pick one bird of the 9,000 species in the world to talk about, which one would you pick? A peacock? A kingfisher? Someone fancy? Jesus chose the drabbest, dullest, commonest, brashest, most irritating, badly behaved. You're on their list somewhere. I mean, that's like, you've got to hear one of those words and think that's me, (laughs) small and screechy bird. She wrote, "Jesus told Jesus chose the bird that doesn't even have its own song. Doesn't even have its own song. He chose the sparrow and said every single sparrow is made by God, looked after by Him, and loved by Him. So we are the sparrows, the jack wagons, the mocking birds, the sinners." in our lives, not everyone out there, right? But you and me here. And thank God that Jack Wagon Junction meets at the foot of this cross, right? Meets at the foot of the cross. And and here we are all together, holding little more than our personal failures and wounded hearts, and bringing them to the one who promises us salvation over control forgiveness over sin, and love over condemnation. Amen.